Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat and welcome to Harvest. Whether this is your first time here, you've been here many, many times. You are family here and we are so thrilled and excited to worship with you. We're continuing our our series today, Come and See from the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter four. If you want to get a head start there, which is where we're going to be today. Um, And we're so excited about all that God is doing here in our midst. Now, um, about 15 or so years ago, um, I had a really good friend friend uh, call me early in the morning. We were on staff at a church together. He was the youth pastor. He was a big, burly, strong, athletic dude, played ice hockey at DeMatha. And he calls me and he goes, Dan, help. (laughs) My bro, what's going on? He's like, there's a squirrel in my house. (laughs) I'm like, what? He's like, there's a squirrel in my house. And I'm barricaded in the bedroom and someone needs to come deal with it because I'm terrified of squirrels, which was true. And as the story goes, our senior pastor actually lived closer and he went over to his house and our youth pastor was barricaded in his bedroom. And legend has it and reality has it that our senior pastor took a broom, chased the squirrel around the house, eventually got it out of the house, much to everyone's um, happiness. And now we never, love, never ever let, let, let my buddy live this down. And he just owns it. Like you might own a shirt. He owns it. And he's like, I'm terrified of squirrels. Um, yes, I am. Um, now, I don't know what you're terrified of this morning. I don't know what your greatest fear is. And maybe it's like squirrels. They're little gnarly creatures. Uh, maybe it's heights. Maybe it's snakes. I don't like snakes. Maybe it's public speaking. Maybe it's a lot of things but I think we're all really, really honest with ourselves. I think one of the things that most, if not all of us are most afraid of more than anything else, and we never often speak about it, but I think we often dread it, is being actually exposed for who we really are. Having our deepest, darkest secrets out there for the world to see, and even more so than that, for Jesus to see. The reality of our sin, the reality of our brokenness, our shame, our guilt, what would it look like for you if everything that you have locked away deep down where you have built up walls like greater than Fort Knox was publicly exposed for Jesus to see this morning? Sounds scary, doesn't it? But in a lot of ways, as we're gonna see in the text today in John chapter four, more than fear inducing, it is actually freedom giving because when we expose our sin or have our sin exposed, both happen. When our sin is brought into the light, what we actually find is while our sin is great, Jesus' salvation is greater. Praise him for that. But we often so fight so hard to hide our sin, to hide our failure, to hide our past, and we just carry this shackles of shame with us. This guilt that is like the albatross strangling our neck or the 800 pound anvil that we walk into work with, that we go into the holidays with, that we came into church with this morning. And Jesus is here this morning to say, loved one, I already know it. And I already paid for it. Praise God, amen. 
So my prayer today as we come, as we open up the word of God and see one of the most beautiful encounters of the gospel with Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter four, is that we would today lift up our eyes like Jesus is gonna ask us to off of our sin and see the salvation that he offers off of the obstacles that we might put in front of ourselves or that culture puts in front of us to come to Jesus and to see the reality of the overcomer that Jesus actually is. Praise him for that. To lift up our eyes off of religion and onto the relationship that Jesus personally offers us and to lift lift up our eyes off of missional passivity and to see the missional priority that Jesus sends us on. Why? Because Jesus is greater than our sin. Praise God for that, amen. And he's greater than the sin of our neighbors and the world that needs to hear it. And we get to declare it and we get to share it. So I don't know what shackles of shame you walked in here with today that have been holding you captive. But today I want you to know that there is freedom here in the name of Jesus Christ. Not as we bury our sin, but as we allow it to be exposed and then covered by the grace of God. And I'm going to ask you to do that. More importantly, Jesus is asking you to do that. That's what this text is all about. That's the application of this text to allow our sin to be exposed before a holy God and allow the grace of God to cover it. That when you're exposed by your sin, you're not melt with guilt and shame and rejection from Jesus, but you're met with grace. You're met with grace. And may that same grace that Jesus is going to meet the woman at the well with today meet you here today as you experience life and eternal life and abundant life in and through the name of Jesus. Here's a big idea for today. It's simple yet profound. Three words, and you're going to hear it over and over and over again. You're going to see it in the text vividly, vividly, vividly. Jesus changes something? No. Amen. Everything. Jesus changes everything. Everything, everything. We're gonna see that over and over and over in the text today. His greatness is greater. His salvation is sweeter and he changes everything for you and for those around you. Will you let him? He wants to offer you freedom, but you have to let your sins be exposed. You have to bring them to him and allow them to cut co- him this grace to cover you. He wants to change everything for you today. You might've walked in here in chains. He wants you to leave today in free freedom whether you're in person or online. And, and I pray that you would allow the grace of God to cover you and give you the courage to expose you for who you really are and who I really am. A sinner in need of a savior. Praise God that we have a savior named Jesus Christ, amen. Let's not hide it anymore, but let's bring it to the foot of the cross, to the one who paid for it all, who is the Messiah, who is our savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray that you would allow in your grace, in your goodness, us to be exposed for who we are, sinners, and to be exposed to you for who you really are, our savior. And Jesus, we need your grace for our salvation. We need your grace for our sanctification. We just need you, Jesus. And you change everything. And I pray that you would change the hearts of every single person in this room and hearing your word this morning, we all need you. We all need to lift up our eyes off of ourselves and onto you in some area, if not many areas in our life. And Jesus, I pray that you would remove the fear and replace it with faith. I pray that you would remove our shame as we see that it is covered by your blood. 
that you would remove our guilt and lavish your grace and that we will lift up our eyes to see you for who you really are, Jesus, our savior, the Christ, the son of God, the Messiah who came to love us, who came to die for us, who came to save us and who came to send us to a world in desperate need of the gospel through us. And Father, we are so thankful for who you are. Holy Spirit, do your work. Remove the obstacles even right now. Remove those things that are stirring up in our hearts that the Holy Spirit wants to expose and you want to cover and you want to forgive. But we are scared to lay down and be brought and have brought into the light. Expose us, God, to your grace as we expose our sin before you. Jesus, we love you so much. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter four. If you don't have a copy of, the, of God's word, the Bible, we would love to nothing more than to give one to you. We believe it is the words of life. And it's, it's available in the back at the connections table. Um, but we're gonna be in John chapter four. We're going verse by verse through the gospel of John over the next year and a half, for the most part, here at Harvest. We love the word of God. And we're gonna be in John four, one through 45. So buckle up. <laughs> and just a head, just a reality, like we're not going to be able to, we don't have the time to dig into all the depths and pine the greatest deepness of the beauty of this text through and through. Please, I would encourage you to study it on your own this week. But as we look into what the themes of this text is, teach us, we just see the beauty of Jesus shine through, the greatness of Jesus shine through. And he's asking us to lift up our eyes. So John chapter four, beginning in verse one. This is the apostle John writing as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard uh, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. Get back to that. So he came to a town named Samaria, a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For in fact, you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Praise God for that. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, rabbi eat. But he said to them, I have, fa- I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that yet there are four months, then comes a harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. Praise God. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Praise God. After the two days he departed for Galilee for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem for the feast for they too had gone to the feast. Praise God for his word. Amen. Amen. It's a lot here. There's a lot here and we're excited to dig in together. So four life-giving shifts in perspective, Jesus is asking us to make. We saw in this text, he exhorts the disciples then, he's exhorting you and I now, lift up your eyes, lift them up off of yourself and onto me. Four life-giving perspectives, Jesus is asking us to make shifts in our perspective. The first is this throughout this text, off of ourselves, off of the, off of the obstacles and onto the overcomer, off of the obstacles and onto the overcomer. Now, there are at least seven different encounters in the Gospel of John that we see Jesus really uniquely interacting with and how Jesus relates to all of them is embodies how Jesus wants to relate to you and I today. We see in verse three and four here that Jesus was leaving, he was leaving Galilee and he was heading, he was cutting north to Galilee. He was leaving Judea and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, a little geography test. I don't know how well you are familiar or not with the, just the geography of the Bible. You see the map on the screen right here. He's traveling from the south to the north. He had to pass through. Jesus took that red dotted line through. Now, did he actually have to pass through Samaria to get from Judea to Galilee? No. 
He didn't. In fact, most, if not all Jews, took the circuitous route, the blue dots on the outside of Ga- uh, around Samaria. Why? They did not want to go into Samaria for a variety of reasons we're about to get into. They apparently missed the elementary uh, ge- uh, mathematics lesson that says the shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line, right? They went the roundabout way. Why? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Hated. That's not a strong enough word. They thought they were half-breeds. They were dogs. It goes all the way back. They called them dogs. That's not my vernacular. That's what they considered them. It goes all the way back to several hundred years prior when the northern kingdom was taken captive in 722 by the Assyrians and some of the Jews were taken off as a consequence for their sins to Assyria. Other Assyrians moved into the northern kingdom of which Samaria was the capital. And then what do they do? They intermarry with Jews. And so the Samaritans became half, half Assyrian, half Jews, and they worshiped not just the one true God, but guess what? Other gods. It became polytheistic. There was syncretism, meaning like, yeah, we'll sort of honor God, but we'll also do Assyrian culture as well. And so they were, they were serving not just the, our, the one true God, but many, many, many gods. And so Jewish people felt like anytime they entered into Samaria, they would by naturally become unclean. If they touched anything a Samaritan touched, they would become unclean. And so they looked down upon them. They were nasty to them. They were mean. So what Jesus is showing us right here in this text is the heart of this text is that Jesus is leading his disciples, modeling for them and for us on a cross-cultural mission trip, which is awesome. He didn't have to. In fact, many Jews went around Samaria. So he didn't have to in that way, but he had to in another way. You know why that way was? He intentionally went through Samaria because he wanted to meet with this woman. He had to meet with this woman. He chose to meet with this woman. He was on a mission to meet with this woman. Praise God for the heart of Jesus who is an ever pursuing God. And in this text, as we'll see over and over, yes, Jesus came from heaven, he came to earth, but he also came specifically to meet with this one woman. What an awesome God we have. And he's in here today to intentionally meet with you personally. He loves you and he knows you. And it says here, they went through, he had to pass, Jesus says, the text says, he had to pass and Jacob's well was there. So Jacob in the Old Testament literally had a well there. Joseph's bones, Jacob's son was probably buried somewhere around there. Um, And Jesus, verse six, was wearied from his journey. Praise God, Jesus gets tired too, amen? Anybody else tired this morning, right? Right, say, hey, Jesus gets me, right? Repeat that, Jesus gets me. Yeah, he does. His humanity on full display. He's tired. He's tired, man. He's like, I need a break. I've been, ta- I've been walking all day. I'm so glad that you're here. He gets tired too. He sends his disciples on to get some food. They didn't have DoorDash or Grubhub back then. Uh, so they went to like make a Wegmans run or wherever they were going into town to get some food, right? Probably Chick-fil-A was closed when Jesus was there. So they couldn't go there. But they went to town to get food because they were hungry, and he, Jesus begins this beautiful interaction with the Samaritan woman. And he says, hey, can I have a drink? And she's like, huh? <laughs> what? He's like, you're talking to me? Well, what are you doing here? Two, why are you talking to me here? Because remember, Samaritans had this reality that any time that Jews thought anything they touched was unclean. Any interaction with them made them ceremonial, spiritually unclean. There's a lot of reasons why Jesus shouldn't have been there. He was in a place he shouldn't have been at a time he shouldn't have been there. He was talking to a woman he shouldn't have been talking to. Praise God that Jesus overcomes all our obstacles, all cultural, 
all religious obstacles. Jesus is here to break down barriers. We see that vividly in this text. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of living missionally is to break down barriers. The text vividly points to these obstacles, but it points to the greater reality that Jesus is the overcomer of these obstacles. And you can just hear the obstacles coming out of this woman's mouth. She's like, why do you want to drink from me? I, I, why? One, you're a man. I shouldn't be talking to you. That's an obstacle. Two, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. That's an obstacle. Three, don't you know my checkered past, the reality that she was actually at the well when it says the sixth hour, that means noon. In the heat of the day, like sweat through your clothes, hot. When no one else was around, why? Because she was an outcast from society because of her checkered sexual past. You shouldn't be talking to me. Why do you want to interact with me? My nationality, my social status, all of my failed marriages, my relational failures, the fact that I'm living with someone right now that isn't my husband and having intimate physical relationship with him is sinful and wrong. You shouldn't be interacting with me. But Jesus changes everything. Because look, he shifts, the, he shifts the conversation from these obstacles to the overcomer. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered, if you only knew the gift of God, he's talking about the grace and the gospel. Praise God, amen. If you only knew it, and if that, and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink. If you only knew me, that I am an overcomer to your obstacles. If you only get that, not mentally, but on a heart level, everything would change for you. And it can change for you right now. Because I am here to offer you what? Living water, verse 10. And as you look later in verse 14, he describes this living water as eternal life. And she's like, what? She's like you and I, she doesn't get it initially. She's like the disciples. She's like, can I have this water? Why? So I don't have to come back to this well again. She's thinking physically, Jesus is talking spiritually. I don't know what your obstacles are today to coming to Jesus. All of us, let's get this reality straight, are this woman at the well. We all have obstacles that are keeping us from coming to Jesus. Our past, sin, shame, our present shortcomings, failures, our societal lack of status. What is your obstacle that is keeping you from authentically coming to Jesus as you are? And would you lift up your eyes off of that obstacle and onto the reality that Jesus is the overcomer of that obstacle? that he's offering you living water and the gospel and grace in the middle of that obstacle, not in the absence of that obstacle, in the middle of that obstacle. Where do you need to lift up your eyes? And he's not talking practically. Yes, Jesus is here to help you practically. And that's our, often our first response to the gospel or coming to church. Oh, it makes me feel good. Great, I'm glad it makes you feel good, but you're missing the point if that's what it's all about. It's about eternal life. The fact that we are sinners in need of a savior. Jesus isn't here to give you health and wealth. He's not here to give you a long physical life. Maybe he blesses you with health and wealth. Great. Praise God for that. Use it for his glory. He's here to give you eternal life. That's what this text says. It's eternal life. And our eternal life happens only when we get our eyes off the obstacle. The primary obstacle in our life is what? Ourselves. Sin. And onto the reality that we are sinners in need of a savior. And we confess that and believe that and repent of that and turn to Jesus and believe in him and choose to follow him as Lord and Savior. Yes, Jesus had to pass through Samaria in order so that this woman 
receive salvation. And Jesus today is here again, choosing. He had to pass today through some area. Get it? This area, Severn, Maryland, to meet with you because he's the only source of salvation. So whether your obstacle is your family, whether your obstacle is your past, whether it's your money, your pursuit of a job, your, your, the walls that you have built up over time of shame and get, what if somebody knew about my past? Jesus already knows, loved one. And he already paid for the, your price on the cross for it anyway. Question is, will you lay it down? As opposed to running from the obstacle or allowing you from the obstacle to keep you from Jesus, take that obstacle, pick it up and bring it to Jesus right now. Bring it to him. Jesus, help me to get over my identity crisis. Jesus, help me and forgive me from my past. Jesus, I'm, I'm stuck in this unhealthy relationship. Give me wisdom on the next steps to take. Jesus, I have an addiction to X, Y, or Z because I'm seeking my satisfaction more on this in a second in that thing more than you, Jesus. Lay it down. And you're like, I don't know that Jesus can, that can rebuild this barrier that he has that I have in my life. Like this woman had every barrier to mankind, relational, spiritual, sinful, cultural, spiritual, religion. But Jesus, the Jews wouldn't talk to her, but Jesus did. Praise God for that, amen. Jesus transcends religious barriers. You want to know what a unifier Jesus is? You want to know what a chain breaker Jesus is? You want to know what a great savior Jesus is? Just listen with me as I read to you and go back and meditate on it this week, Ephesians chapter two. You want to know how Jesus overcomes obstacles? Listen to this. And you were dead. Any bigger obstacle than that reality? Nope. You were dead. In the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, and that litany of what those are can go on and on for days. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, all of us, not some of us, all of us once lived in the passions of our flesh. What are your passions right now that you're living? What are those obstacles that you are putting in front of yourself? Carrying out the desires of the body. Where are you desiring for yourself more than you're desiring Jesus? And if the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now, let him. And then repent on the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, here's the overcomer, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. If you think no one else loves you, Jesus loves you. If you think everyone else has rejected you, they might have, but Jesus is here to accept you. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, and what an obstacle that is. In our trespasses made us alive. Praise God, what an overcomer we have in Jesus Christ, together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, not by your own works. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Praise Jesus, amen. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. We must humble ourselves. It is a gift of God. Will you receive it and believe it? Not of the result of works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared hand, beforehand that we should walk in them. Praise God. So you see the vertical obstacles that we all individually have and praise God how Jesus overcomes every single one of them. Amen. 
So I don't know what it is that you need to lay down today, but Jesus breaks through vertically. Now check out the rest of Ephesians 2. He's going to break through the gospel and his grace. They're going to shatter horizontal obstacles. So Jesus, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, he shatters vertical obstacles between us and God. Now watch him shatter horizontal obstacles between us and others. Therefore, verse 11, Ephesians 2, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope. And without God in the world, if you're here today without hope, I pray that you would listen up right now to the reality that Jesus is here to overcome that situation through the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Having no hope, but now in Christ Jesus, he's the overcomer. You who are once far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Praise God, amen. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down, check this out, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, praise God, and might reconcile to both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers, no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Check that, we'll come back to that. Praise God, amen. You Jews and Gentiles who once were hostile, Jesus shatters that and makes peace where there was no peace. You who were forsaken, Jesus makes family through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is our overcomer. He can shatter through any obstacles that you have. Whatever obstacle that you have, Jesus is greater. Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? Praise God. He changed everything for the woman at the well. He changed everything for you and me today. Where do you need to bring your obstacles to him? Change your perspective. Lift up your eyes off your obstacle to the overcomer. More worship, less worry. Where do you need to start praying about things more than you are currently gossiping about them? Where do you need to lean into the promises of God for your direction more than the ramblings of man? Lift up your eyes off your obstacles and on your overcomer. Jesus changes everything. The second life-giving shift in perspective Jesus is asking us to make today is this, off of your sin and onto your savior. We already talked about a lot of this, but we see this vividly through this text. Praise God that in love, Jesus meets us wherever we are. He met the woman at the well in Samaria, amen? But praise God, out of his love and grace for us, he doesn't leave us where we are. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable for all of us in this room. God's grace is sufficient for your salvation. God's grace is necessary for your sanctification. Where is God asking you to take a next step of growth in him today? To shift your eyes off of your sin, whether you have accepted Christ as your savior or not, and onto the savior. Because he meets the woman at the well. He meets her with grace. He meets her with acceptance. He meets her with love, but he doesn't leave her where she is. He messes with her by exposing her sin in the most loving way. Jesus exposing our sin or allowing us to expose our sin is the most grace giving action that Jesus can give us because it is our only hope for salvation. Jesus allows our sin to be exposed and or exposes it himself again out of grace and out of love 
because that's our pathway to salvation. Because it's only when we realize how great a sinner we are that we can realize how much we need the greater savior that Jesus is and repent and humble ourselves. So he meets her and Jesus in verse 16 says to her, go call your husband and come here. Now this is a leading statement. (laughs) And she's like, I have no husband. Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. You got no husband. In fact, you've had five of them. And the man that you are sleeping with right now is not your husband. Ouch. He's exposing her sin. He's bringing up the painful reality of her past. Her current sin, her past shortcomings. He's exposing the string of broken marriages in her life that gives Elizabeth Taylor a run for her money. And not just the broken marriages, but the brokenness that comes out of the broken marriages or even results in the broken marriages. Because when two sinners say, I do, if it's not anchored in Jesus Christ, there's not a whole lot of hope for that marriage in terms of having unity, true unity at the deepest level, the heart level, the soul level. He brings up these thoughts and you're like, what about her shame and her worries and insecurities? How dare Jesus go there? He's ripping the bandaid off. Yes, he is because he knows that her greater need is him. Her greater need is him. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to love you through it. And in, but in grace, he's going to expose it because he's offering us the, the source of it right now. He, he, and here's the beautiful reality. When he exposes her sin, does he condemn her? Does he reject her? No. He offers salvation to her. He receives her without judgment. He loves her without condition. He offers forgiveness without end. Reread what Pastor Andrew preached on a couple weeks ago, John 3, 16 through 18. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He will expose you to save you. Because he knows that you are, he is your greatest need. So he's asking us to get our eyes off of our sin and onto him as our savior. Because they go through this back and forth, this back and forth, and Jesus drops this mic. And, and verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus says in 26, this mic drop moment, I who you speak of is what? Is he? The most direct Revelation that Jesus says, I am the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that isn't here to condemn you, but to save you. And I am here to love you and offer salvation to you. The Samaritan woman living in sexual infidelity. I see you and I love you anyway. And I am offering hope to you today. And whatever your sinful brokenness is today, he's offering you hope as well. She's met with compassion and care, but conviction Jesus said, I had to come here because I had to meet you. You're miserable, but my mercy is enough for your mess. Jesus entered into her mess intentionally. That's the gospel. We are all sinners. Paul writes in Romans 3.23, for all of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. But he also writes in Romans 5.8, but God, and you'll see this on the screen, shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, What? Christ died for us. While we were in our mess, while we were living in adultery, Christ died for us. While, while we were angry, while we were continuing to live in unrepentant sin, Christ died for us. Praise God for that. That's love. And so he, Jesus is here to expose your sin right now. It's the most loving thing he can do. Not to reject you, but to forgive you. Not to condemn you, but to lavish his grace upon you, to meet you where you are, but to say, hey, 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 repentance means you're going to turn from your sin and you're going to start following me. 
You're gonna choose a different path. You're gonna choose a path of obedience because true repentance and true surrender is evidenced in daily desire to obey. Where do you need to allow your sin to be exposed? Where do you need to expose your own sin through repentance and confession and experience the grace of God today? It will free you. You think it might enslave you? It will actually do the opposite. It will free you. Bring it into the light. You won't be rejected. We're all sinners here. Where do you need to ask someone to pray with you? Where do, who do you need to confess to? God, vertically, yes, but the scripture also teaches confess our sins to each other horizontally. That's what a biblical community is, so we can walk together and pursue the Lord. It might be embarrassing, yes. It might be exposing, yes, but it is actually life-giving. The pathway to eternal life comes through the exposing of our sin. Jesus is demonstrating that here right now. Right now, you can't keep hiding it. You need to allow it to be exposed. The woman, this woman is different than us. The details might be different, but she's actually the same. We are this woman. True repentance is, is before God is evidence and a desire to, to live a life of obedience to God. Not just turning from the sin, but turning to our savior. Because he's greater. He's greater. This is a calling to lift up your eyes today. So friends, let me ask you this. This woman had been going over and over and over to a swans, a well, if you would, a source of satisfaction she was seeking that was continuing to leave her empty. You know what that was? Men, relationships, sex. That's what she was running to, to seek her identity in, to find her salvation in. And she was coming up, metaphorically speaking, and literally speaking, dry. And Jesus is asking her, he's telling her, I am the living water. Metaphorically, spiritually, realistically, it is only I that can give you the satisfaction that your soul is seeking, or else you will continue to be empty and go from bed to bed, man to man, relationship to relationship, and end up depressed, discouraged, and destroyed. Only in Jesus. So what is the well that you are running to, to try to find your earth, your satisfaction in on earth? It might not be a bed of another man or woman. It might be. Greg's grace is sufficient. But maybe it's finances. Maybe it's having the perfect family. Maybe it's the job, the promotion, the, the grades in high school, the military career advancement. Maybe it's church. What do you mean church? Well, I just keep running from church to church. There's no perfect church. Don't run from church to church and miss Christ. What is that thing that you are running to to try to find your satisfaction in that is leaving you dry, that is leaving you desolate, that is leaving you, that will ultimately destroy you, that is outside of Jesus? Jesus is asking you to lift up your eyes off of that and turn to him for your deliverance today. Not later, but today. There's sufficiency only found in Jesus. And he's enough, amen? He's greater than our sin. He's greater than our, what we think is needed. He's greater than any earthly relationship. He's greater, he's greater, he's greater. He's greater to, than your, the sins of your past and present. The cross is enough. Where are you looking? What addiction are you running to? Where are you trying to find to take the edge off of that you really need to be running to Jesus? He's what you need. You believe the lie that you need some other things. That's a lie from Satan. You really only need Jesus for you to find your true sufficiency. Where are you humbling yourself under the authority of God's word? Jesus changes everything. Allow him to change your heart today, to meet you where you are. He's saying this to this woman. Woman, your sufficiency is only found in me. Where do you need to have that same reality today? 
His grace is sufficient. He wants to meet you with open, loving arms, not to condemn you, not to cast you away, but to love you, to save you. Yes, he will ask you to change your life. He will give you the power to change your life. It's not a pull up by your bootstraps. It's through the power of God, he will change you and sustain you. You can't do it on your own, but he will ask you to change. That's called sanctification, which comes after salvation. It's a lifelong process of becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. Is that the desire of your heart today? I want sanctification in some areas of my life, but this one is mine. Jesus, you can't have it. You need to repent of that right now. It will destroy you and the relationships around you. Just like this woman's life was being destroyed by the fleshly desires that she was having, the relationships she had, they were being destroyed. Praise God for his grace. The third life-giving shift in perspective Jesus is asking us to make today is this, to lift up our eyes off of religion and onto a personal relationship with Jesus. There's this beautiful, vivid text here that Jesus and this woman have this interaction, especially beginning in verse 19 and 20 and running through the end of 26 here. And Jesus is like, I I perceive that you're a prophet because he knows everything. Can I tell you this? Jesus knows everything about your heart and life right now, right? You're trying to hide it. Jesus already knows it. Praise God. He forgives us for it anyway. He went to the cross for it. He's like, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is this place where we ought to worship. And so what she's talking about, there are fathers and she's talking about the, the, the religious background of the Samaritans. The Samaritan temple of worship was housed on this mountain. This is most likely Mount Gerizim where they are meeting right now. It's quite possible that this woman was referring to Abraham and Jacob who built altars in that region. Remember, this is a combination of religions. This woman wasn't devoid of knowing who the one true God is. The Samaritans just worship God and dot, 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 dot. And she's like, well, Jerusalem's the temple there. We got our temple here. Aren't we good? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You worship what you do not you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now this is verse 21 and 22 are huge. Jesus in 22 is not saying that salvation is exclusive to the Jews. He's saying salvation comes from the Jews. Literally, he is a Jew. It comes through the Jews and to the Gentiles, to everyone. Everyone in the world needs Jesus and it comes the gospel is for everyone. Jesus desires for everyone to come into relationship with God. And Jesus had just previously told in verse 21, believe me, woman, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you will worship the father. What he's saying right there is the hour is coming. He's referring to his crucifixion. He's saying, when that happens, your worship will not be anchored in a place, in a temple, but, it ha- but through me, I will be your source of worship. And then as you express and, and get, surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to me, God, the Holy Spirit will live inside of you and make you a temple itself so that your worship will actually fall out of yourself and to God because there is no more barrier. You, the Holy Spirit is not, no longer confined to like just the ho- Holy Holies and some other places. He will be inside you. Praise God that we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Amen that we ourselves are worshipers in temples and houses of worship, that our bodies are houses of worship to God. Worship is a 24-7 thing. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's an ascribing that Jesus, you're greater, that you are worth more than everything and I will follow you in everything. So there is a huge Jesus changing everything pivot in how you worship here and who you worship here ultimately. She's like, he's like, you, you need to worship me and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit it becomes personal. 
because I'm the Messiah. She's focused on religion, but she didn't have the relationship. She had a religious background. The gospel is inclusive and it's exclusive. It's an invitation to everyone everywhere that says you are a sinner and need a savior. It's inclusive, but it's exclusive in the reality that Jesus is our only way to experience salvation. Only through Jesus. That's what he says when I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. I am the one who will make you worship. And then he, Jesus drops this really powerful text here in 23, 24. He's, he he begins to talk about true worshipers. He says, true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. The father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So what's interesting right here is that God is seeking true worshipers, right? And so if God is seeking true wor- worshipers, what, there, what must there also be? False worshipers. People that think they're worshiping the one true God, but are actually not. They're worship- we're all worshipers of something, but true worshipers worship the one true God and God is seeking. My question, friends, is this. When God is looking at your heart, is he finding a true worshiper or a false worshiper? Are you worshiping just the one true God in all, overall, through it all, or God and dot, dot, dot? And you might be, oh, it's the one true God. Really, really, really? Does your life speak that way? Or have your, your children crept up onto the altar next to Jesus? Your bank account? Your military career? Whatever it is. Well, how do we know for a true worshiper, Pastor Dan? Great, great. Thanks, Russ, for asking. That's a great question. Praise God for his text right here, right? It says it right here in verse 23 and 24. True worshipers must worship two ways, one in truth. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. We're going to start with truth. What does it mean to worship God in truth? That means there is an authentic gospel centrality, true surrender in your heart. That there is a true belief. You can't worship God authentically if you don't know him truly. Do you? Like literally, do you? Because this text is saying that this woman was religious, but she was not saved. She had been worshiping. We worship on this mountain, but she did not truly live in a way that was God honoring. Her worship didn't stop her from sleeping around. Is your worship stopping you from sleeping around? Or I worship God on Monday, but on Tuesday, it's my time to do whatever I want. That's literally what's happening in this woman's life. True worshipers have an authentic surrendered heart before God and a submitted life under the authority of the word of God. That's the true worshipers. That there is a gospel authenticity in how you live. Your desires, your delights, your direction. Truth fills your heart. The truth of God's word that you want to be, see God glorified more than anything. The second characteristic of a true worshiper as defined by Jesus Christ himself. We're not making this up. It's in the text. It's right here. Is spirit. By spirit, he means Holy Spirit. If you have surrendered your life to the Holy Spirit, to God the Father, as your sa- through Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Are you living a Holy Spirit-filled life? That's question one, that he fills you as a, as a deposit guaranteeing your salvation, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1. And the second thing is, is are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And second, are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Are you following him or are you quenching him? You're like, I, I, I authentically put my life on the Lord several years ago. Awesome, awesome. But are you really following the leading of the Holy Spirit right now in your life? Are you filled with a passionate fervor for the work of God, the person of God and the love of God? 
Like, how do I know if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5, like, gives it to us very, very clear. The fruit of the Spirit, more than a child song, more than a memory verse. Is your life marked with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? You're like, nah, you don't understand how hard that is to do? Yeah, I do. That's the point. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to actually exhibit those things. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit in order to, be, I'm just not a kind person. Problem. If you're actually marked by the Holy Spirit, you would actually be seeking to live kind as opposed to just be like, eh. I don't have a lot of self-control in that area. What you're really saying is I'm not surrendered to the Holy Spirit in that area. Let's not lie to ourselves. Let's get our eyes off of our religious idioms, words, even Bible verses that we have memorized platitudinally, but not convictionally living out and allow it to enter into our heart and be the source of our life to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. None of us are perfect in this, praise God for his grace, but are we pursuing it? Are we desiring it? Or are we just mailing it in and going, eh, I'm just, I'm just not that. Oh, really? Scripture teaches, if you're led by the Holy Spirit and filled by the Holy Spirit, your life would be marked that way. Maybe we should think and pray about that and probably repent about that. None of us are this perfect all the time in all of these things. Trust me, I need to continue to grow in pursuit of this and repentance for this. And honestly, this week I was convicted over and over again by my lack of intentional desire for some of these things or my willingness to just go, eh, it's been a long week. It's okay if I'm unkind. I need to take the edge off over here. I deserve a break. I can't live without this. Ah, self-control can go out the door for a mite. That's wrong. That's sinful. And I need to repent of that. Are you marked truly by the truth of the gospel centrally and the leading and the marking of the Holy Spirit holistically? Where do you need to get your eyes off yourself and onto the Savior and onto the Holy Spirit? Jesus changes everything. It's through his strength, not our own. The fourth and final life-giving perspective, life-giving shift in perspective that Jesus is asking us to make is this off of missional passivity and onto missional priority. Again, this is a mission trip passage, but a mission trip is life. As Pastor, Pastor Andrew often reminds me, one of his seminary professors says, life is a mission trip, just take it. <laughs> it is. And we see Jesus admonishing us, challenging us, exhorting us in that right here. The disciples come back, verse 27. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. They're like, what in the world are you doing? He's like, why are you on a cross-cultural mission trip? You're talking to somebody you shouldn't be talking to. You're talking to a Samaritan, a woman. All these things are wrong. And Jesus is like, no, that's what the gospel does. They didn't say anything. The woman left the jar and she went into the town and she told the people. She told the people something. She's fired up. She's passionate. She's excited. Ever see a new believer that's like, you got to hear this story. What does it look like to live with missional priority daily? Three aspects of it that we see in this text. And again, we're just going to do a high level. We could do a whole sermon on this. And this is beautiful and powerful right here. The first aspect to living with missional priority daily is this. We need to open up. Open up our hearts. Look at what the woman says in verse 29. 
Come and see. You want to know why we named this series Come and See? Because Come and See is both an invitation to us from Jesus about his greatness. Come and see my greatness. But it should also be an invitation through us to others to come and see Jesus. She says, come and see a man who what? Who told me everything that I ever did. She's opening up her heart. She's opening up her life. She's not hiding. She's like, he told me what a sinner I was. You got to come see this guy too. You ever use that? First line with somebody that you're trying to witness to. <laughs> Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did and loved me anyway. Who didn't reject me. Who offered me grace. Who offered me forgiveness. Who offered me salvation. Who didn't see my identity as a woman who, who is in living sexually immorally. But sees me as one who the cross pays for fully. And I want to live forever with as forever family. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. But we need to open up our lives. We need to open up our hearts. We need to open up our willingness to share the gospel with boldness, which starts with a testimony of the reality of this life is not about me, but it's about Jesus. Come and see this man who told me everything I did. And he wants to do something for me greater. And look at the response in verse 30. They went out of the town and they were coming to him. These people that she was a social outcast, but to test the power of her testimony as she opened up authentically, the whole town came to see what she was talking about. Praise God, amen. Imagine what would happen if you began to open up with your neighbors, your family members, your coworkers. We need to open up. Are you willing? Well, it's too embarrassing. You're making it about you. Eyes off of yourself and onto the Savior. Your testimony is not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. This is why we do testimonies of baptisms. It's not about you. It's to give God the glory. I was, but God, and now. He's the hero, I'm not. Read Paul's testimony in Acts. I was this, I was this, I was this, but God, and now. Open up to see God's glory. Now lift up, number two. Lift up. Look up. The disciples get back and they're like, Rabbi, you're hungry. You got to eat. They're looking out for man. Praise God for the disciples that are looking out for Jesus. Like I got people like this in my life. They're like, you, you know, you, you got to eat. You got to stop sometime to eat. Yes. But Jesus said, I didn't come here to eat physical food. I came here to do the work of my father. That's my spiritual food. The disciples aren't wrong, but Jesus is pointing them to a greater right. I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Jesus is saying the mission is my, my motive. The mission is what I'm here for. He was hungry, sure. But he was allowed himself to be interrupted. He allowed his dinner time to be interrupted. The people are coming, the people are coming, the people are coming. The mission of God was a, is a spiritual food to our souls like physical food is to our bodies. Are you actually treating it that way with intentionality to lay down the, better, the, the, the good to live on his best? The disciples didn't quite get it. Jesus says, do you not see that there are yet four months and comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. You think it's gonna be ready in four months, it's ready right now. How many of you need to lift up your eyes to your neighbor who wants to have a conversation with you today? I'll talk to them about Christmas. What if you're taking out the trash and they're like, the Holy Spirit's like, talk to them. I want to get back to watch the game. Lift up your eyes. Your coworker who interrupts your office meeting, lift up your eyes. 
Look up. Do you see the hurting people around you that God has sent you as an ambassador? Now, he's training the disciples. They want to, they have a zeal, but they don't get it quite yet. He needs to continue to train us. We're the ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ, sent to live on mission. Look up, friends, around you, to your coworkers, your classmates. Those that are sitting around you at the holiday table, are you gonna say, pass the gravy? You're gonna say, pass the grace. Seriously, be intentional. Be reactive and be proactive. I was talking to someone recently, church, and they go, I did something tonight I never thought I'd do. I thought to myself and the Holy Spirit said, how can I truly love someone if I'm not pointing them to God's grace? And I invited someone to come to church and shockingly they came. And that began a conversation. So who knows where it's gonna lead? But look at what Jesus says. He's using a farming metaphor right here. There are seasons. Some seasons are to sow, some are to reap. We don't know. Our job is just to be available, to sow the word. And maybe somebody sowed the word four months ago and that neighbor is now ready to hear the gospel again with you because the other neighbor shared the gospel with them. Or maybe you're just gonna have a conversation that is sowing and 10 years down the road, you don't even know about it. Somebody else will reap, praise God. We need to be faithful. Because look at what happens. And if you don't believe the power of the gospel, that Jesus changes everything, look at verse 39. This whole community of Samaritans who have been told their whole life, you're dogs, you're nothing, you're half-breeds, you're worthless, get away from me, you're unclean. Can you imagine hearing that all your life? And maybe some of you have been hearing that all your life. The racism, the less than, you're unworthy. And look at what happened when Jesus, when they meet Jesus, many Samaritans from the temple believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. See the power of your testimony? It's just your story for God's glory. He told me all that I ever did. It hops down here. More believed. They stayed in Samaria. More and more believed. There was a, Jesus changed the town. He changed the country. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves that we're loved that we're forgiven, that we're accepted. And we know that this guy, Jesus Christ, is the savior of the world. Praise God, amen. So we're gonna lift up our eyes off of our shame and we're gonna look up and we're gonna see the savior, the reality that Jesus changes everything. Will you look up to that reality today, both in your own life and for the lives of those that are around you? Because we need to speak up. That's the third aspect right there. Because when you speak up, we see the result. The gospel at the end of the day is a verbal transaction. You don't have to be a great theologian. Just tell them your story about how Jesus changed you. That's what the woman did. That's all she did. Never been to seminary, never been to Bible college, had been a, a Samaritan sinner saved by grace, telling other Samaritan sinners in need of grace about the gospel of grace that changes everything for everyone. Praise God, amen. That same God is here today to change you. Would you bow, lower your heads and bow your eyes right now? Friends, where do you need to lift up your eyes today? What obstacle you do need to lift up your eyes from today and onto the overcomer? What sin do you need to lift up your eyes to repentance of today and onto your savior? 
what religion, going through the motions, dogma do you need to lift up your eyes off of to embrace the true life-giving relationship personally with Jesus? What missional passivity part of you do you need to lift up your eyes off and, and, and embrace the missional priority that Jesus is exhorting the disciples to have and that the woman who was just saved is demonstrating having? And if today God is revealing to you the beauty of who he is and you wanna respond by lifting up your eyes to the God who offers you grace and freedom and salvation, would you just repeat this after me right now? It's not about the prayer, it's about the heart posture of surrender. You don't have to say it publicly, but just, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I believe today that you're my savior. Today, I wanna surrender my heart to you as my Lord. And I wanna follow you the rest of my life. Please give me the strength to do that through your power. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. And if you just prayed that prayer, please come talk to me or talk to Andrew or someone after the service. We would love to pray with you and process with you. And if the Holy Spirit's laying a conviction on your heart, we would love to pray with that about you too. Or next step. Father, we love you. We thank you that you expose our sin so that we can be exposed to your grace. We thank you that you are the chain breaker, the obstacle smasher, that you blow up barriers and that you bring us salvation. Lord, help us to lift up our eyes to see you and to see the world around us, the neighbors around us that need you too. Forgive us for our passivity and fill us with your spirit and your passion to make living for you our priority in our own personal lives and living missionally for you one conversation at a time. Jesus, we love you and we praise you in your name we pray, amen.